0: Welcome back to another brand new episode of James Baldwin's America. I am your host, Jesse James. Raise your hand if in a car crash that is 2020, you had the president catching COVID-19 in October, just weeks before the election. It's like you just you can't make this stuff up or in his case, maybe you can. Who knows? When you're in a relationship and you've been nothing but lied to for four straight years, it's, it's hard to tell what's real and what's, what's not. So who knows? I guess we'll see as time goes on and the story develops more. But I'm glad you've joined me today. We have a lot going on. I have an interview with friend and former student, Bree Diani, in which she's going to talk about being black in Wisconsin how adversity can affect creativity and her work getting into films. We also have a couple songs of the week that I think you'll you'll be familiar with both of them, and a quote, and I'll also be talking more about the podcast Patreon page, which I mentioned last week in a special bonus episode. I hope you all had a good weekend, and your week is getting off to a good start. Just a couple more weeks in America until our election is done and hopefully this long national nightmare of four years is over and we can begin to heal as a nation. So after this quick break, I'll get to my interview with Bree Diani and I will see you guys on the other side of that. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Brie. First question I ask everyone, how did you first come to James Baldwin?
1: Uh, I got introduced to James Baldwin during my time in undergrad. Um, The funny thing is I have never read like a James Baldwin piece in full. It's always been like excerpts. Mm -hmm. Um, But I remember like my first, full introduction to him uh, was definitely during the um, the premiere of, like, I Am, Your, I Am Not Your Negro. So I got a chance to actually see him more intimately during that time. And that was really what kind of made me um, appreciate him further. Um, and then aside from that, I just had a lot of friends that I always read Baldwin or read parts of um, his work um, and would kind of, like, talk to me about it. And I always loved it from that point of view, too. Um, so I do need to give myself a little spanking for not reading him in full. But um, the the bits and pieces of his work that I have come to kind of put together as a whole in my mind is like some of my favorite stuff. Uh, the thing that I do want to sit down and read fully is The Fire Next Time, though. Right. Um, and give that a run all the way through. Um, I've loved his speeches, of course, uh, his premier, like his premieres when he goes somewhere and speak, I, I really love those.
0: Yeah, I mean, The Fire Next Time, obviously, that's like his seminal work. Mm-hmm. And it, it's I mean, for what it is, it's a, I don't want to say it's an easy read, but it's a rather quick read. Like if you mm-hmm. have an afternoon, you know, a couple hours, you can get through it in a couple hours. So I also want to talk about you grew up in Milwaukee and the Milwaukee area has, you know, recently been in the news quite a bit as a black woman growing up in what is considered to be the worst state for African-Americans and Milwaukee really, it's always neck and neck with Detroit as the most segregated city in America. Could you talk a little bit about your experience growing up in that city?
1: The funny thing is, when I was younger, I never even knew. Washington, well, I, I never even knew. But it didn't feel like there was any issues with Milwaukee. I grew up with a pretty tight-knit family. Um, I was always around kids that looked like me. So for you know, from my experience, I always felt like that's what my world was going to look like. Um, and even when I did come in contact with people who didn't necessarily look like me, it didn't feel different. Like I didn't feel like I had to act a certain way towards them. Um, but my world has always looked really black from the time that I grew up. I went to um Starms Elementary Childhood Center, which was actually one of the three schools created by a black woman who moved up here from the South, and her name was uh Frances Starms. Um, so my my education off bat was like pretty black. I got introduced to black history really early on when I was younger, and so And I love history just because of, like, how early on I got that exposure. Um, I don't know what that would have looked like if I hadn't. I think it took me realizing stuff. Like, I feel like I kind of grew up in a little bubble, to be honest. Like, I feel like outside of that little bubble, of course, I knew things were going on. But I had people that I felt supported by. I had friends. I had people my age when I wasn't with my friends necessarily. And so my little bubble... Outside of the things, you know, outside of it, when things would happen, of course, I would feel um, very taken aback or I would feel very emotional about it. But I knew I could always come back inside of my little bubble and feel safe when I when I needed to. Um, So growing up in Milwaukee for me, it was tough, of course. Uh, I didn't really get to get out of the house a lot. My mom was very, uh, very much stay in the house. (laughs) So the times that I could get out, I was, like I said, still always in my little bubble. So things felt very, very at home to me, um and I think it took me getting to high school and people like talking about the city, and I'm like, "What part of the city y'all living in? My part of the city is fine. I don't got no problems." <laughs> um, but I think it was then when I realized, like, "Oh shit, stuff is happening." And even though, of course, I knew, you know, racism, like all of these isms, those things were definitely in effect. um But I just figured the more and more I learned about them, and the more and more like I intentionally created my own space, like the better off I would be. But yeah, I would say it took me about high school realizing like there were so many other things that were happening outside of my little bubble. And once that bubble burst, especially when I went to um, college, I was just kind of like, yeah, this is not home. Um, <laughs> this is very uncomfortable. And like, I don't really know how to make do with it.
0: Right. And, and let's let's move on and talk about that other bubble going to college mm-hmm. because Like you said earlier, you know, Milwaukee is very segregated. So it's very easy for anybody of any race or ethnicity to get stuck in, into their own bubble in that city. Mm -hmm. But the bubble that you entered at UW Madison is a very different bubble. Mm -hmm. It's a very, and it prides itself on being a very liberal and open-minded town. But from my own experience and friends that I have, it's, not always that way, especially at the university itself. So let's uh, talk a little bit about your time at UW. Uh,
1: I transferred from Edgewood in 2016, and I came in the fall of 2016 to UW. Um, So I came in literally the semester after the real UW. I came in um, after a lot of different events had taken place on campus. Um, So I kind of felt like I had come into... I don't know how to describe it, but I kind of felt like I came into a lot of people's personal hells at that time, of course, because I was trying to meet people um, and have people meet me. But also I realized that I was catching people at a very transitional time, like a very important transition, because, you know, it wasn't freshman year anymore for a lot of people. um, And a lot of people that I was friends with were actually getting ready to go into their junior year. So this was about two years on campus. Um, And granted, I had my own issues at Edgewood. So I wasn't like, I wasn't unfamiliar with the stuff that was going on. But it was just a different environment and different groups of people that I was now coming coming into contact with. So coming into UW, I was very attentive. Like I really wanted to just sit down and just really absorb everything that was going on. I didn't really want to put my leader activist foot. Or, like, you know, leader activist shoes on right away because I was like, I just need to know what I'm dealing with because it's a way bigger university than, you know, than I was accustomed to. Right. Um, And so coming here or, you know, coming to UW, I was just kind of like, oh, well, this is pretty much is, you know, what was happening um, back at Edgewood. Um, The only difference is, like, it's hella people now. <laughs> it, like, it's, you know... The difference between the two colleges is like Edgewood is private, UW is public. So I'm just kind of like, you know, hopefully we have a better chance of like getting these these issues out there. You know, people have a little bit more access to know what's going on. And I quickly realized, like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I'm thankful for a lot of the people that were that had been there already uh, for their hard work, um, because when I came in, the BCC was actually getting ready to come back on campus, but they were in the talks of it. Mm-hmm. So I actually came there off the fruit of people's labor already um and so I said well the best the most excuse me the least I could do is you know just continue to keep building a better campus climate as opposed to like trying to reinvent wheels that people are already on board with or at least you know just try to get involved with the people that are doing the work already so I would say in a way I kind of went back to creating that bubble at UW and I mean of course I would acknowledge the things that were happening outside of it but I was just like I'm so focused on building up my bubble right now and like bringing in people who really need safety, people who really need community and comfort. Like, so that was where I had to learn to redirect my energy towards. And in a lot of ways, I still feel like I do that because a lot of people didn't feel supported on campus. Um, and a lot of, I know a lot of people to this day on campus still don't feel that support. So I was like, if I can be that for other people on campus, then I feel like that's my role.
0: How did that experience, if at all, help you with your um, the creative side and your creative outlets? Because you are an artist on many different levels and many different mediums. Mm-hmm. So how did that adversity help your creative energies?
1: It's funny because looking back now, I really, I feel like the direction in which I'm going in now is like trying to stop pulling from pain, but it's really kind of, impossible to do that because uh, it's always something to be in pain about um, but at the time I felt like it was helping me you know confront a lot of things that I didn't feel like were serious enough um, or you know I a lot of the times I find myself like oh yeah but well, I hurt my feelings but you know I don't I don't think it's that big of a deal so I'll just be able to move on from it um, so at that time I felt like uh, a lot of the experiences that I were ha- that I was having on campus allowed me to like sit down with them and like really think through them and like figure out a way to channel them and like work through them and so a lot of that came in the form of art um especially when I would just grow tired of like talking about it and like constantly being in a like emotional pit about it I'm like I need to exercise it out in some way or another because I don't want to die stressed out I don't want to die having to think that you know I've given all of my energy to like educating people and really got nothing out of that myself so I'm like if I'm gonna be in pain and if I'm gonna talk about stuff that you know I know I need to do to heal and like in a sense help others heal too like let me do it through art um and in a lot of ways I feel like that's the extent in which black people can go to is like we can't necessarily go out and protest in the way that we want because automatically you know we get issues and what we're seeing now is like violent protests you know like how to peacefully protest but it's just like the world has never been at peace and so I feel like it's kind of hard to peacefully protest and especially when you know you you constantly look around and you're pretty much a target for just about everything that's going on even if you realize it or if you don't Um, And sometimes I just feel like art is I wouldn't be surprised if people didn't use if black people didn't use art. Um, I feel like it's kind of like a a, an inherent thing. But also, I feel like a lot of people, a lot of black people figure out other ways to do it. But even that in itself is a is a art form, like just basically figuring out or carving out ways to work through some shit. And I feel like that's pretty much what those experiences allowed me to do.
0: I want to go back over one last question for the, uh, your time at UW before we get fully into your creative outlets. Um, you said earlier that, you know, you were growing up really into history and, you know, getting to know your own history and African-American history. How was it for you when you got to UW and you took, you know, some African-American studies courses? And you had, for instance, me, you had a white TA Mm. or you would have a white professor teaching this stuff that either you already knew or you had a good idea about, yet here's this white person that is claiming to basically be an expert on the topic and they're trying to educate me. So did you have issues? Part one, did you have issues or any conflict, internal conflict about that? And then the second part, and as we're talking, I'm thinking back, and I know this is something that I was guilty of, that I would always personally lean on the students of color Mm -hmm. in, in my classes, because I couldn't always speak to the experience. So I would ask people like you, or, you know, a black male in the class to share their experience or what they've gone through, because that to me it's lived experience and it's so valuable because so many of the kids on campus come from an area where they just don't see any black folks so to be in a classroom my mindset was always like okay this is a great chance for black folks to share their story but it's also a great chance for white folks to actually hear something that they would never get to hear and like I said, I know I was guilty. I probably leaned on that too much because that just puts unneeded pressure on you guys. But so how did you kind of work your way through that, you know, dealing with um, white people that were in the head of the class and then maybe also professors that wanted you to maybe give more of yourself than other students were asked to give in class?
1: I know myself and other students who were in the department, like other black students um, in the department, like we wrote letters, like we wrote reviews. And I think, you know, what I thought potentially could be like, oh, maybe I'm just hopefully catching somebody on a good day to like hear me out. Um, And then once I pretty much seen that that was just not the case, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna just get this damn degree and go. Um, <laughs> Because it it just came a point where I was just like, feeling like I had to keep choosing battles and to me. I feel like every battle that I didn't fight necessarily for a while, it felt like, damn, like I really gave up or, you know, like I really didn't go as hard as I could have, but then I realized, you know, I'm choosing battles to fight because not because, you know, I'm just trying to fight all the time, but I'm like, I find them very, very, very necessary to do. Um, And I think I got so overwhelmed with like trying to fight every single battle that I saw fit that I'm like, I have no choice but to pick and choose which ones I'm a fight. And so with so many white professors, so many white TAs in the afro M department, I'm just like, is this necessarily a battle that I'm fighting to win for me or, you know, for other people. And it, I really had to start trying to sit down and run through what those battles meant. Um, and, you know, I was just like, at this point, like, that's not my job. I'm like, that's the university's job to figure out, like, why we have an Afro-M department with little to no Black professors. And I'm like, is that really the type of environment that y'all are trying to create, that y'all are trying to breed more scholars from? And I was just like, at that point, I just have to keep asking myself, I'm like, whose responsibility is that? Mm-hmm. Um And each time when the answer was just like, there's, 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 I was just like, you know what? All right. So I'm gonna put that over to y'all and I'm gonna just get through this and do what I need to do. Um, as far as like being called out in class, I wasn't too much called out in class. I didn't really have that problem. I think the more and more students, like I said, I came in off the backs of a lot of people's labor. So I think a lot of that work that already went into like, Please stop calling on Black students. Please stop calling on students of color to share their experiences in these white environments. I think I started to come across more professors who didn't necessarily do that, but also at the same time, just because they weren't calling on us doesn't mean that there was an environment created to where we didn't feel like we had to do that. Um, and so there would be times in class where like we would get, get into certain discussions and for black students and other students of color, it's just like, damn, that's kind of hard for me to talk about without bringing up my personal experience, because literally the stuff that we're talking about is the stuff that I'm living. So, um, I think that's kind of what things shifted into kind of like a covert, like, well, I'm not going to call on y'all, but like the questions and the discussions we're having is going to kind of make you already like come forward and start talking and teaching us. So that's pretty much what the, the classroom settings ended up being. Um, and I think just when it got closer for me to leave, I was just like, I'm not talking. <laughs> like, I'm just I'm just gonna take notes on the stuff that maybe I didn't know, or you know, just kind of to keep building on my perspective of things. But I think after a while, I just stopped talking. I stopped, stopped volunteering in class. Like, I just I just put it into it because I'm like, this is literally labor that none of us are getting compensated for, and not even so much about the money. But I'm like the physical, emotional, and spiritual toll that that takes on having to do that every day in class. It's just like I found myself literally not even making time for the stuff that I wanted to do um other than being somebody else's teacher. So, I think just after a while, I just really started becoming even more tight with my time and my space. So, and I know a lot of other students did that as well, but yeah, it's it's still it's still an ongoing battle. As I'm still hearing, like students are still struggling with that. So yeah. you know,
0: yeah, it's only gotten worse at the mm-hmm. university, um, and it just seems like it's going to continue to get a lot worse before it does get better, mm-hmm. and that's frustrating. Let's talk about after you left UW and you went mm-hmm. to was it Columbia, uh, NYU, NYU. I, you, mm-hmm. I don't know. All right, so you after you left uh, UW Madison, you went to NYU. Um, for a postgraduate degree and it was in film studies correct
1: Uh, performance studies it should have been in film (laughs) but it was in performance studies
0: (laughs) so then you know now your creativity is starting to come more to the surface and it's becoming more central to Mm -hmm. your everyday life so talk to me about that like the Not only projects that you were doing in school, but some of the things that you were doing outside of the school where you really saw yourself transforming less as a student, but more as an artist.
1: I mean, New York in general will do that to you. Like I I have, the funny thing is I had always wanted to go to New York. Like I even thought about going for undergrad, but I was just like, I'm gonna get ate up out there. It's so many, it's a big city. Like it's so many other great people. And so, you know, I was very much, you know doubting myself and my abilities. So when I actually did get the chance to go, I'm like, oh, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> like I actually have to go out here and, you know, come with all of me or go home um, and going home was not an option. Cause I was like, no, I need to get out of here. I need to go see something new. Um, so when I got there and I mean, of course I was there for school, but um, it dawned on me when I got there, I was like, I don't know why a lot of, I won't I won't say that because I don't know if that experience is true for everybody, but at least for me. And then a lot of the black students I did get to know. I think we were all coming there with like this idea of like it's grad school like we're doing. We're actually focusing on what we want to talk about. So it's going to be way more intense. It's going to be way more learning. And then I got in the room and I was just like, oh, yeah, I kind of know that already. Mm. Um, all right. <laughs> Um, and I think as far as like, cause when people hear performance studies and I know at least when I heard it, I was just like, yes, I'm going to be moving. I'm going to be, you know, learning theory. I'm going to be doing all this stuff. Like I'm going to be able to do so much. Um, and performance studies is actually just very, very, very theory heavy. So it's a lot of coded language. It's a lot of language that people that you not to say you wouldn't run across, but like you have to be in a very specific setting at the right time to really catch a lot of the language. And so when I got there, I was like, what the hell is this? Um, I was like, y'all throwing out terms and phrases and theoretical frameworks. I'm like, what is is all of this? Um, So I know myself and a lot of the students that were in my cohort was just like, this is not what I thought this program was going to be. Um, But I think because it was only a year, we kept telling ourselves, like, make the most out of it. Just go for it. Um, And we had already had um, TA students that were there who were already, like, in the PhD program for it. So they would just constantly tell us, like, stop giving more to a program. Stop giving more to an institution that does not care about y'all. Give them what they ask for and nothing more. Um, And... I had heard that in so many other different ways, more than one, but I was just like, for some reason, that's when it finally clicked. And I was just like, yeah, I'm not giving y'all no more than what y'all asked for. Y'all are, y'all will not get the the glitz and glam for me that, that I'll save for myself. Um, and then the people I'm in community with. So I started putting that into practice more and I feel like that's what really pushed me to be like, besides a student, cause I, I consider myself a lifelong learner. Like I'm, I'm never done learning. Um, But I was, like, outside of that, like, I'm an artist. So I'm, like, what does that actually look like for me to be an artist? You know, like, especially in New York, where just about everybody I've met is an artist in some way or another. So, like, not necessarily what makes me stand out, but, like, what brings me into this community and what keeps me in this community. So I think when I realized, like, I'm not giving any more to institutions, I'm not giving any more to school. I'm, like, I'm giving it all to being an artist. And I think that's what really made me start making it more of a central thing for me to go to every day and like really in a sense trying to build my life off of because I don't see me working in corporate I don't see me working in like really strict working environments um I am not a routine person so that definitely won't work um I'm spontaneous I like to really get out there I like to know stuff I like hands-on approaches I like to be able to learn from people um and so once I realized all of those things were coming to the forefront in New York, I'm like, that's it. That's what I'm going for. So Go that's how that came about.
0: And you, as we've said, you are a creative person in many different ways.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I, I know your talents as a writer because I saw it academically. And mm-hmm. you can just, if a person can write talently academically, you know that, they're talented far beyond academic writing. Mm-hmm. So we know you have that. You you also do dance. Um, I know that you did a short film while you were in grad school. So you kind of have your hands in all these different pots. Mm-hmm. Is there one of these mediums that you embrace more than the other? Or are you just right now, just kind of sampling a little bit of everything and seeing maybe what, is the best avenue for you to go long-term or how are you determining that?
1: Um, I feel like at the moment I'm embracing me being a writer and what that can translate into film. Um, so I'm kind of marrying those two right now since, um, I'm away from my dance company, shout out to pretty big. Um, but I'm away from them right now. And so I'm not going to lie. It's been really, really hard to keep that dance momentum going. Um, and so I've been slacking. <laughs> so, of course, I'm like, if I'm at least not going to be moving as much as I would like to, let me put it somewhere else. Um, and so I've been writing a lot more. I've been really trying to learn the ins and outs of film and, like, what that would look like for me to be a filmmaker. Um, and I've been doing that so much that I pretty much know, like, if, if I do continue on this path, which I really, really hope I do, um, I, I can see myself directing. I can see myself writing. Um, and I would really love to grow on that more, especially since I have, you know, so many friends and so many people that I know of that are in film in a lot of different ways. And so I'm just like, well, let me use my resources. Let me use my community pool to like really get into it. And so I think right now that's where I'm really looking to progress and like really, really honestly trying to get a lot of the stuff out that I feel like I've kind of been keeping in.
0: Mm -hmm. And last thing, um, because for somebody that's still relatively, well, not relatively, you are still very young and growing into yourself, um, you have a great website that kind of lays out everything for you. Um, So I want you to plug that, but also plug anything else that you might be working on or things in the future that you are hoping to do.
1: Yes, yes, yes. So, um, brediani.com, which is spelled B-R-E-D-I-O-N-I.com. Um, I was told already like multiple times, someone was like, just make a website, just put all your stuff there. And I was just like, it's gonna be a lot to maintain and everything. But I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to do it because I sometimes don't even remember everything I do. And this would be a good way to remind me. Um, So I went ahead and I made my website at the top of this year. Um, I just redesigned the outline, like the layout and everything of it, like added more content. I'm dropping more content tomorrow for two short stories that I've been working on. Um, And then as far as my project, which has been since I've been um, graduated now, uh, the project that I worked on at the time was around black people in water um and as I'm c- becoming more spiritually inclined to myself I'm just like you know I love water I love everything about it what does this mean for me in this body to be black to love water what does that mean and what is the history that black people have to it um and so I went with that project and I'm, I'm really loving where I'm at with it right now so Something that I'm trying to drop next week is a soundscape that I put together or that I should say I'm putting together with um, like bits and snippets of songs with black artists that talk about water, like in any form or facet. Um, and I'm trying to put it together to create kind of like a kind of like a meditative sound, like a something like that. So that's what I, I'm actually really excited to start working on that because that was actually supposed to be my project for my master's thesis but i ended up doing a short film instead uh which came out really great um
0: did I, I, <laughs> I, I can attest to that it was it, it was very well done and it was Thank you. very scary and it's like oh my god like just so much talent but anyway yeah. continue i'm sorry
1: uh no 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 you're fine um and i think another thing you know for people who typically know me I'm my smaller circles they know I love horror film they know I love horror tv so I'm really trying to bring that more so to the fore- foreign as well and so there's a tab on my website called survival guide um and I've started to kind of review horror films and movies that I've seen and like what does it mean for black actors to either be in those films or not be in those fi- those films and what is what does that say um and of course with Lovecraft Country being out and it that being an amazing show already. Um, And just, you know, having seen the horror noir documentary, I'm like, yeah, this is something that I that's that's I think that's the field that I want to situate myself in as an artist um, in horror. Um, And what does that mean to be someone writing, writing, creating or directing something horror related? So I think that's the field that I really, really want to situate myself in eventually. Uh, But as of right now, I feel like I'm just kind of trying out different mediums to see how to do that. But yeah, there's. there'll be stuff dropping tomorrow. There'll be stuff dropping next week. Um, and then after that, I think I'll probably take a little break to kind of re- rejuvenate and just kind of see what else I can pull from. Um, and then I'll, I'll of course, be dropping stuff on the website here and there. So mm-hmm. I'm excited.
0: All right. <laughs> Once again, that's B r e d i o n i. B-R-E-D-I-O-N-I.com. I will mm-hmm. put a link to that site in my show notes as well. Bree, it was so good to talk to you. Thank you so much Thank for joining you. me. Take care of yourself.
1: Thank you. You too.
0: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. My thanks to Brie for joining me. Once again, you can check out her site at Bridiani.com. That's B-R-E-D-I-O-N-I.com. As I mentioned last week in my bonus episode, I will be starting a Patreon page very soon for the podcast that I hope many of you will join uh, for the extra content that will be on there. I'll be talking each week more in depth about the songs of the week. I will do bi-weekly chats about a black history topic, whether it be an event or a person, and then once a month. I want to get interactive with as many of you as possible and have a chat whether it's what's going on in the United States or abroad or if there's a specific Baldwin topic you want to talk about. I just, as I said last week, want to start this Patreon page as a way to do more than what I'm doing. And as I said, I won't be charging... Too much for that, just $3 to help me offset the production costs to run the show. So I'm really hoping to get a bunch of you on there and we can expand the show even more. Before I get to the songs and the quote of the week, I want to remind you that you can follow and give the show a like on Facebook at facebook.com slash America. Or on Twitter at James underscore Baldwins. You can email the show with thoughts or questions at baldwins.america at gmail.com. And please rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you're listening from. And please leave a five star rating. I'm going a little bit old school this week for the songs of the week. And it really kills me to say that a song from 2001 is old school. It just makes me feel old, and anything 2001 shouldn't be old school. Old school is like 1980, not 2001. I don't care what any of you millennials say. But for the songs of the week, I'm just going to tell you the songs. You can infer whatever message you might want to infer about the songs, and we'll talk about it more on the Patreon page. The first song of the week is from Mary J. Blige, off her 2001 album No More Drama, and it is the song No More Drama. The second song, go back a little bit, it's off of John Lennon's 1975 album Shaved Fish, and it's the song Instant Karma. Remember, Instant Karma, it will get you. I'm going to stick with a certain theme for the Baldwin quote of the week as well and it comes from the 1972 no-name in the street. People pay for what they do, and still more for what they have allowed themselves to become, and they pay for it very simply by the lives they lead. The crucial thing here is that the sum of these individual abdications menaces life all over the world. For, in the generality, as social and moral, and political and sexual entities, white Americans are probably the sickest and certainly the most dangerous people of any color to be found in the world today. My thanks one more time to Bree for joining me. Once again, check out her website at brediani.com B-R-E-D-I-O-N-I dot com I will catch you all next week. Have a good week. Take care of yourselves and each other. Peace.